What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Triple Play Fantasy YouTube channel. We got another interview for you, and we got a very special one today. And I got to intro this man in the proper way. We welcome in a man who I would say is the Tannen Bomb. He's the former general manager for the New York Jets, former executive vice president of football operations for the Miami Dolphins, an ESPN NFL front office insider, and the founder of the pristine 33rd team, which is football's think tank. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome in a man that lays down the sports law and tells you like it is. It is Mr. Mike Tannenbaum. How's it going, Mike? Doing great, David. How you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm really blessed to have you join me tonight and looking forward to kind of get to know a little bit more about you and all the stuff that you've done and you're doing now. Uh, so without further ado, I, I just kick it right off. I, you know, looking you up a little bit and you graduated from Tulane University of Law School, earning a certificate in sports law after you got your accounting uh, major at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and a minor in sport management. I I'm kind of curious, did you at this point have any idea what you wanted to do in the sports industry or if that was where your future was going to be? Yeah, great question. Uh, I grew up outside of the uh, Boston area and had breakfast every morning with my parents and uh, Growing up, the Boston Globe was a paper that you could kind of tear apart and have different sections. And I always asked them for the sports section at breakfast. And they kept telling me, you know, at some point you're going to have to get a real job. You know, the world doesn't just, you know, revolve around sports. And it's really the only thing that registered with me and, uh, you know, fortunate that uh, I can make a career of it. And uh, really believe in uh, choose a job you love. You'll never work in a day in your life. And going from a baseball team to, after UMass to law school and, Coach Belichick hired me for a couple hundred bucks a week after law school and just been uh, really fortunate. And I would just tell people that the most important thing is find out what you love. Choose a job you love. You never work a day in your life. Wise words. And and you kind of touched on it. You stopped. You had stopped with the Pittsfield Mets, the Cleveland Browns with Bill Belichick, and even the New Orleans Saints where you interned a little bit while you finished law school before you became a player personnel assistant. I got to know, because when you were interning and you were finishing law school, I can't even imagine how busy you must have been. W were those really tough days back then trying to balance both of those out? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. But, um, you know, I was just like lucky to get my foot in the door with the NFL team. And I'm just like, they're going to have to kick me out. And just if I wasn't studying law at, in the library, I was uh, at the same facility. That's all I had, and um, I nothing else really mattered. I kind of gave up some things in my personal life, moved away, and drove down with my dad from Boston 25 hours in a Ford Escort and signed some loans and said, hey, I got this crazy dream, and here we go. The work ethic, chasing a dream, it's very motivating, especially for everybody that's trying to get into the sports field, and you ultimately – get into your next stop, the big kahuna, if you will, when you land with the New York Jets in 1997 as the director of player contract negotiations. Then you go through numerous administrative positions, and then you finally succeed Terry Bradway as the team's GM in 2006. My first question to you is, how gratifying did it feel to kind of, after spending all this time and a decade pretty much with the team, to get to that point? And then ultimately, were there aspects of the job that were a little more overwhelming at first that you weren't expecting once you took the role? Yeah, that's a great, really good question. You know, I've told this to a lot of people that it took me probably about a year and a half to really understand the job because, you know, as you're working your way up the ranks, 
you know, I was very like task oriented and wanted just to like check one thing off and then the next. And you realize when you're in a leadership position, it's everyone else's less than things that had to get done and put yourself last. So that to me was um, really understanding that, you know, if the quarterback's wife was having a bad day, that could impact your whole organization or, you know, player X or Y heard a rumor and now you're dealing with their agent and you got to give an update to the owner and the head coach. And he was like, and you didn't even realize like, Oh my God, like, you know, the day's over, you know? And um, so it really, um, it took a long time. Eric Mangini did a much better job than I did when we took over the jets and we got to the playoffs early really because he did such a great job of coaching. And it took me, like I said, at least a solid year to get my sea legs under me. Yeah. And then obviously you make very awesome picks. Like the Darrell Rivas pick is one. I know that you're very well known for, and we're going to get to the draft in a second. But one of the things you do right now is you talk about the draft and many other things as ESPN brought you on as a front office insider. And I've always been curious how did you become interested in that position and were you recruited or did you reach out to get the job over at ESPN? Yep. So as uh, things were ending in Miami, you know, we, we had a bad season, lost our quarterback and uh, Adam Gase and myself were let go. Um, I wanted to be super thoughtful about what I was going to do next. I had some relationships in the media industry. I had done some things previously, had a TV show um, earlier in my career with the Jets, did some bunch of work for uh, the NFL Network. So knew some people, had some conversations, and my, my, I couldn't have been more lucky from a timing standpoint. Bill Polian was the uh, on-air GM for um, ESPN, was retiring from that role. And um, literally, like, within a week or two of me transitioning, and what started off was just like, hey, can I come in and talk to you guys? It kind of led to like, hey, we're going to throw you on for a day, and let's see how that day goes. That day went okay, and – Signed, signed on with uh, ESPN after that day. So um, it was a weird kind of funny thing. Like I really wasn't sure like what was next. I had some thoughts and ideas, but wasn't really quite sure. And um, this like sort of like conversation of like, yeah, I'd love to come catch up and talk to you guys. Or like, hey, let's just put you on and see how it goes. Yeah. And obviously you do great work on there now. I get up is something that you see on all the time. And I've talked with Ryan Clark and, you know, Every, there's always a lot of crazy stuff that goes on on set. I'm curious, was there any moment on Get Up that sticks out to you as one of the craziest moments when you've been on the show? Well, yeah, there was actually. Stephen A. Smith kind of came on impromptu, and he walks in and almost like physically stands behind Greeny and says something like, you got to give it up for me. you got to give it up because they had something going on. I don't even remember what it was at this point where – I think like Stevie, Stephen A was on like the right end of like some disagreement and Greeny's like, you're on the middle of the freaking show. Like how else can I possibly give it up for you? And they were kind of like going back and forth. So that was really cool. And then uh, uh, Ben Affleck came on the set to uh, promo. I forgot what movie it was at this point, but he came on and I was like, like I'm on TV right now with Ben Affleck. Like, it was just uh, like one of those moments, like, really? Like, is that what I'm doing right now? Like, it was just, you know, like a crazy moment. Um, and the other thing I, I really enjoy about ESPN, they're, they're really good at putting you in, like, different, like, I've done everything there from radio, TV, podcasts. Um, I've done, like, satellite shows, literally, like, all over the globe. 
been brought in to do some things on like legal issues that may have impacted ESPN, uh, the NFL over time and, you know, been asked to be on like ABC news. And I'm like, you know, almost like, really? Like, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm the legal correspondent. And it was just really like, I, I like the challenge. I like being put in uncomfortable positions. I've done games live, which has been super fun. Um, I've done the NFL draft, really excited to do. can't believe it's going to be my fourth draft. Like, so being the lead analyst on uh, the national uh, ESPN radio broadcast, which I'm, you know, thrilled to do. So it's, um, it's been a great experience. You're like the Swiss army knife of ESPN. They're having you do this a little bit of that. Yeah. It's like, you're filling in a lot of needs for them. And it's really cool. You get to do experience all these different aspects of that job. So yeah, it's great. I love being uncomfortable and learning and <laughs> they've been terrific. Yeah. And ultimately that's transitioned to you next where you're also doing the 33rd team, a company on the rise as much as if I had like a bar graph thing I could put up, but, uh, you know, you have content from current, former coaches, players, fantasy analysis, the X's and O's of the game. Literally, it has it all. I'm kind of curious, how did the idea first come together? And are, has it been satisfying watching it blow up the way it has? Yeah. You know, one of my things I really enjoy in life is helping others get to where they want to go. Um, there were a lot of people that really helped me get to where I wanted to go. I always felt like, gosh, if I'm ever lucky to get to where I want to go, like, I really want to help others. And, um, my family and I have a scholarship at the University of Massachusetts where we give scholarship money to people who uh, want to get in sports and get ahead and want to work for free to get their foot in the door. So we actually give them a stipend. And when I got hired at ESPN, I needed help and to kind of get prepared. So I hired a couple of UMass students. And what I fell into, David, was like players and coaches between opportunities. So it actually started with Greg Schiano and Jim Caldwell. I said, hey, I could get you some interns. And from there, like away we went and all our content's free. And um, we just put it out there and people like yourself help what we're incredibly appreciative of. And um, we just want to put out thoughtful content around the discussion of football. And then proudly, one of our real missions is to put men and women in the NFL. And we've placed 14 of them in 18 months. And uh, hopefully there'll be a few more. And we just had somebody join the Eagles within like the last couple of weeks. And um they, they get great experience and the people, the Bill Polians of the world, and Joe Banner and Chris Peterson and the coaches are just so incredibly nice to these students. And then th what the students try to do is give them good research that will help the coach or the GM in their next spot. And uh, we just kind of put those two buckets of people together. Yeah. And I get the pleasure of, I get to witness the zooms on Wednesdays that you guys do. And it's, some of the best content that you can have. You have all these different coaches and former players talking about various different subjects. And it's just an absolute, I know everybody's not going to get access to hear that, but the conversations are just incredible. And you hear so many different angles of different things. And uh, you can see why people have been really buying into the vision that you have. And it shows how great of a person you are, that you have all these connections with all these guys, all these former coaches and players that they all want to come in and be a part of that. So I think that's a testament to you and just how well you just are with every single person you come in contact with. And I also hear that from the insider, Benjamin Elsner, who does a lot of stuff for you, talking about when you walk down the street and 20 or 30 people will come up to you and just start having conversations with you. And you're just, you know, you give everybody the time. And I think, again, it just kind of summarizes up just how great of a person you are giving your time to all these people. 
No, I appreciate that. Uh, I really do. I, and I would just say that, um, be it Ben or yourself or whomever, like, I can just tell you all the kindness that was given to me. You know, like, again, I think about people like Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick um, hiring me and giving me opportunities and, and the kindness, like, you know, a person I look up to quite a bit is Curtis Martin and Hall of Fame running back and a way better person than that or guys like Chad Pennington and I just on and on and on people I've come across that are just so selfless. And um, again, you know, to the extent I can help others get to where they want to go is something that's just really, really important to me. And like you said, there's been many that have gotten that already and a lot more to come. Uh, But we touched on it before the NFL draft. It's a little over a week away. Not much love for quarterbacks this year. It's a down year for that position. Very rich at the wide receiver position. My first question is to you, just as a former GM, how many guys, when you would do a draft, are you realistically putting on your board to take? And then how hard is it to keep your ideal selection hidden? Because in today's media, when information comes out of who people like, it's all over Twitter. It's got to be hard to keep that in-house. Yeah, so, you know, Coach Parcells in 06, I'm doing my first draft, and, like, I check in with him, like, every day. And he was always had this number like 115, 120, like the number of players on the board. And um, he was like, he, like the standards are the standards. Like what you want at the position is really important. Um, and and you should not like deviate from that. So um, and that's hard. That's easier said than done because you, you, you don't want to be in a position where like you can have exceptions, David, but you don't want a team of exceptions. And those guidelines need to be like things that you care deeply about. So that that's one thing that's like the mistakes I've made is when we go off of those sort of like objective indices. And, and that's again, not to say that dogmatically you're drafting a team just based on analytics. And, and the irony is like, nobody believed more in that than coach Marcel's, you know, it's just information, but it's how it's couched, how it's used. That's so important. Yeah, and ultimately, I'm sure once the actual draft is there, there's a lot of surprises that happen and guys fall to you. I, I heard you just today on Twitter talk about Laramie Tunsil falling to you guys with the Dolphins, and you guys didn't think he was going to be there for you. And you had him, I believe you said, as the top player on your board, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. So something like that happens, and you kind of have to maybe alter your plan some. Is there a lot of adjusting on the fly, or do you feel like – uh there's a lot more set plans and how people draft than people realize. I think it's a little bit of both. Like you want to have your board set, David, and then you want to be opportunistic from there. So that it's really a combination of those two things. I always used to say like our plan is firmly etched in pencil. I mean, we're going to go in there with like a couple of things we want to get done. Like going back to the Tunsil thing, we had a really good left tackle on Brandon Albert. And then all of a sudden Laramie was there. It's like, gosh, how can we not take him? And, all working and you know, the rest is history. I've always been curious when you are at NFL draft and you're looking to move up, do you have to divulge who, which player you're taking just so a team's like, okay, I'm not interested in that player. So I'll trade with you. And like, Oh, I was, we were going to take that guy. So we're not going to trade with you. Yeah. That's a really good question. I think that's really based on trust and, and transparency. Like you're playing poker, you gotta do what's best for your team. So there's a little like sort of like give and take, um, so it's, um, that's a hard one, but you, you got to give enough. 
it really comes down to like needs and surpluses and talking to teams. And there's a little bit of a trust factor to say, Hey, like we would trade Darrell Revis or we would trade this player uh, knowing that unfortunately that may get out, you know, this time of year. Yeah. It makes much, a lot of sense. And specifically for this draft, I know you've obviously been covering a ton of it for ESPN 33rd team. You guys have talked about it. Are there some players you feel really strongly on in the first round on the offensive side of the ball that you find yourself being like, hey, if, if this team doesn't draft this player, they're going to regret it. Garrett Wilson, I think he's a really good player. I don't see any holes in his game whatsoever. And I think he's a guy that, barring something unforeseen, David, we should have a really strong and consistent career. I think he makes people miss. He has good hands, good route runner, good play speed. I'm hard-pressed to see any holes in his game. And how do you feel about Traylon Burks, who before the pre-draft process was considered by many the number one wide receiver in this draft? And after the combine, he's now, I've seen people have him as low as like the fifth or sixth off the board. Where is he falling for you? Yeah, probably like top 45 player or so. Big physical guy. Um, not sure about his tempo play speed, but I think he's a really, really strong, good player. Should, should be a good pro for a number of years. What about one running back that's not Kenneth Walker or not Brees Hall that you're very much, hey, this is the number three guy that people should be talking about? You know, I like Brian Robinson. I think he's a player that when you look at his skill set, I think he's like one of the old-fashioned two-down runners, but he's physical. He can make people miss, and I think he's a player, a little bit like a player we had, Jay Ajayi, who was Mm – wasn't great on special teams, wasn't great at the passing game, but boy, you're just glad he's on your team and he can make meaningful yards. Yeah, for sure. He's a very tough runner and has the experience, obviously, playing multiple years and in college there. I got to ask you, Mike, one of the last things I want to wrap up with here, I got to ask you a little bit about golf. You got a golf shirt on, you got golf in the picture behind you. I always wanted to ask you about your golf game. First, what's the best score you've ever shot? There was an 82. <laughs> That's that's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, what's the best part of your golf game? I'm really good with uh, like long irons, um, like 150 to 180. Like I, I have a good advantage over most people because I could really like that's my sweet spot. I can control the ball pretty good. And um, like six, seven, eight, nine iron. I, I could hit. I can hit my short irons pretty far, so I'm usually you know 135, 140. I have a pretty big advantage over most people. How's your driver? Are you able to keep it straight, or do you slice it? What do you? Yeah, your yeah, yeah. I'm more more of a three wood guy because I want to keep okay. it in the fairway, and I could get there. I could get home pretty good with uh, keep my three wood in the fairway. Then, like I said, I got a great, really good with a hybrid. My seven iron, I could hit about 180, and that could really start like. That's really where I could really make progress. And then my short games, uh, I take after my height-deficient father-in-law, who was always good around the green, so learned a lot from him in the short game. What's a bit of chipping advice? Because I actually started playing in the last maybe six months or so, and I just, I'm almost breaking 100. So I'm I'm very much not near your level, but I'm very much having problems chipping the ball and, and getting it where I want it to go. What's your best chipping advice? Yeah, you, you want to put the weight on the front of your body, and you really want to make sure that you're still following through even on, on the short game and you should, you know, modulate your sort of like backswing, but you want to come through the ball, have the weight on the front side of your body, keep your head down um, and really try to figure out where you want to land the ball as much as anything. 
I'm going to be having that advice buzzing in my head when I go and play next. Hopefully, I, your words of wisdom, I can break 100, and I can get uh, closer to playing a bogey type of golf here. Uh, that's awesome. I, I, do you have a course, a favorite course you've ever played on? Uh, probably the one right behind me. That's uh, Bandon Dunes out, out in uh, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, uh, which is on the Pacific Coast. It's just gorgeous, and it's uh, just one hole is more gorgeous. I, I've been very fortunate. Played uh, Spyglass and Pebble, and um, but I, I probably put Bandon up there with, with with any of them. All right, I'm making my summer plans right now. Pine Valley is also very hard. I probably shot like a 120 there one time. Where's that? New Jersey, Pine Valley, it's uh, it's all traps. It was disgusting. <laughs> I was awful. I started off bad. It got worse. What part but, of New... Because my wife is from New Jersey. And we yeah, go it's all right outside of Philly. But they have great turtle soup. That was <laughs> the highlight of the uh, evening. Drown out your sorrows in the uh, turtle soup after that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Absolute blast being able to talk with you. Golf, football, your career and your, your life up to this point. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. And just anything you would like the viewers to see, like where they can follow you on Twitter, any content that's coming out from the 33rd team they should be checking yeah, out? Yeah, at, at Real Tannenbaum is my Twitter handle. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you having me, David. Of course. Make sure you're following Mike, 33rd team, the best up-and-coming football content area you can find right now. And make sure you guys tune in to Triple Play Fantasy. We've got a ton of great content interviews and all that other great stuff coming. So, uh, we'll catch you all in the next one.